0: Nothing slows down your productivity with clients like the uncategorized transaction stance. You email a list of uncategorized transactions to your client, then they only provide you with information for some of the transactions, then you repeat the cycle, and by the time you get what you've asked for, they've created even more uncategorized transactions in the accounting system. There's got to be a better way. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Uncat, later in the episode. You know, when it goes over it's half an hour. It's kind of fun at the, in the beginning. It's kind of fun, right? Like, yeah. oh, look, this one, I charge. I bought business cards and they came through on my bank fee. Look how cool this is. It's, it's kind of fun at first. Then you realize, oh man, this is a lot of work.
1: And it's beneficial at first because then you, when you're small, have a really good understanding of where your money's going and how much you're spending. And I think that's really important. I don't recommend that you outsource when you start your business. So So, so as a firm,
0: though, the challenge here, right, is do you try to win these people when they've hit that three-year mark, or do you build a relationship with them the whole
1: time? Today is Saturday, April 24th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, did you get your shot yet?
0: Not yet. Last Friday, I was supposed to get the Johnson & Johnson, and then they pulled the plug on what the thursday night before mm-hmm. and then this friday i had a different appointment set up with costco i was going to get whatever they had and i was standing in line about to get up to the counter and they announced johnson johnson's back on so i went up to the counter i said hey can i get my johnson and johnson and she's like we have them and but we can't give it to you yet come back monday morning so now i'm gonna i'd rather just do the one shot because i'm the type of guy that will like of the two shot ones i'll get the first one and never make it back to get the second and i'll just be that guy so i'm better off getting the johnson johnson and just being done
1: here in Arizona, anyone can now get it if you're over 16, I believe. But I guess the problem now is just getting everybody else to go get it, right? And and one shot is a lot easier than two.
0: Bigger problem is why are these places not open on the weekends? They have all these vaccine clinics and these things spun up, and they shut them down on the weekends when people kind of have time to run down and go get shots. I don't. That's that's confusing to me.
1: Well, th- they might be following the lead of the Small Business Administration, which. According to articles published in Journal of Accountancy and Accounting Today this past week was supposed to open today, Saturday morning for the shuttered venue operators grant. Now, listeners of the show may recall that we reported that this was supposed to originally open back in early April. The, the portal went open, it got flooded with people, and then immediately they had to shut it down because of glitches and they couldn't handle the traffic.
0: That was like two weeks ago. And I thought it was like, when they shut it down, it was going to be up the following Monday or something, but now it took fourteen days.
1: They keep delaying it. So there've been these articles saying it's going to be open on this day, this day. So it was it was supposed to be this morning. And I was hoping that as we record, I could go and check and see if it's open. So then I clicked on the link and I get to the website and it says, We have completed rigorous testing and the shuttered venue operators grant application portal will reopen on Monday, April twenty sixth. Applicants may continue to register for a new account. So it's delayed again. Apparently this time, according to their Twitter account, it was delayed because people were complaining that they didn't want to have to get up early on Saturday to do these applications. Which, I mean, hey, it's not a work day, so.
0: Okay, okay, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. I've had a shuttered venue now for almost 18 months. I have nothing to do. And I'm going to tell the SBA... uh, I don't have time to show up on Saturday morning to apply for this loan that might save
1: my shuttered venue. That is total crap. Like well, I don't believe this at all. Well, I, I bet the accountants were complaining. I mean, I, I think it's... It, why would they open it on a Saturday? That just makes no sense at all, right? Like, It's good why to launch to... stuff on Saturdays because then you can ease into the week
0: and the weekend. And so you get low volume on Saturday, low volume on Sunday. And if you have a major bug or something you have to shut it down, you'll be able to fix it and correct it before Monday morning. So now they're going to get a rush Monday morning. If there's another bug, it's going to get shut off on Monday.
1: Well, and here's the problem. The way that this is set up, it's first come, first serve. And that's why they had this huge rush the last time. and. That's probably what took down the portal, because if you have millions of people, maybe it's not millions, but let's say hundreds of thousands of people trying to submit loan applications at the same time, most computer systems just can't handle that. So there was somebody on Twitter in this thread about the delay saying, guys, I'm paraphrasing, wouldn't it make a lot more sense if you just allowed people to submit applications whenever for like three days, and then randomly selected an order, rather than making this first come first serve, and then you wouldn't have this problem. And the funds aren't limited,
0: right? It's not like, oh, the first 100,000 closed venues get money and everybody
1: else you're screwed. Well, yeah, because there's a set amount of money.
0: Well, have we learned that from all the other distributions we've done so far in this pandemic? Like, it's not; it doesn't work that way. You, uh, have, to have, you have to give away more, and then eventually it'll slow down naturally.
1: They didn't learn anything from PPP, apparently. It's kind of similar to PPP in that the rollout was not great, and I have some update on that. There is a bipartisan group of senators that has introduced legislation this past week to allow sole proprietors to retroactively increase the size of their PPP loans. Remember, the rules changed midway through the program, really toward the end of it, and so people who applied earlier had to use net income on their Schedule Cs. People who applied later could use gross income, resulting in grossly different loan amounts. And people are still pissed off that this inequity is perpetuated. And so the senators have introduced legislation that would allow us to retroactively go and get the larger loan amounts, but there's two problems. One is that the program, even though it was extended, is set to expire May 31st. So the question is, does the SBA even have the time to figure out how to allow people to go back and apply for a second or an increased loan amount? And then the second problem is that $44 billion is left in the program and if they allow people to go back then that might get that might evaporate very quickly. So we've got 44 billion left of the 292 billion that was added in December or since December I should say. So that's where we're at with PPP and that's May 31st. Yeah, May 31st is the end of that.
0: All right, so so if you have clients that we're falling under this umbrella. Now you're like, hey, let's go and get you some more money. You got to somehow figure out when to do that between May seventeenth, your tax deadline, <laughs> and May thirty first.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, just following. I'm just making sure you know yeah, that yeah. I, that accountants' point of view are uh, represented in our federal government and with the IRS and the SBA. Just, just making sure.
1: So that those are the two stimulus programs that I'm following. I don't know what else is top of mind for you this week.
0: Top of mind. I mean, there was an article on Yahoo about the IRS holding uh, tax returns. So again, we've been talking about the IRS not being funded properly. Yes. And it's starting to get like in just normal mainstream news media publications now, right? They have 29 million returns they're holding for manual processing for a couple different reasons. But 8 million are just in a suspended status because they put earned income credit taxes or to the child tax credit. Yep. And, and basically that's just lower income Americans, but they have them in a pile of people to manually audit because it's easy and that's just what they have the funding to do. So, so the IRS is chasing a bunch of $2,600 here, $2,800 here, instead of chasing 2.8 million from somebody that maybe didn't pay their 2.8 million. It's a, it feels a little crazy. And then they're talking about, there's still 3 million individual 2019 and 2020 paper returns that they haven't worked through yet. And there's a 7 million, Uh, just individual returns with fraud error on them, and they're going through a fraud detection. And then there's 11 million business returns that are being held for manual processing. And then they're also, this is an interesting note, they're actually going to automatically correct some returns if there's miscalculations on, there's the two stimulus payments, right, that that went out. Mm. Let's say you did not get that stimulus, you could actually claim it as a recovery rebate. And so apparently they're reconciling what you've claimed as your recovery rebates versus what they actually deposited in your bank account. And they're, ma- they're, they're automatically just adjusting your return on that, which will cause more
1: delays. So this is interesting in that it's not particularly complicated, but they don't have automated systems set up to deal with this. If they had the right computer systems, they could just go in and do some code and handle a lot of this stuff automatically, but they don't because of... That bodies, computer systems, right? Yeah. They lack of investment, right? And speaking of this becoming more and more mainstream of a concept, the IRS being underfunded. Hashtag David Fund the IRS. This episode of the Cloud
0: Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Margin Driver, designed by top multi-channel e-commerce sellers. Margin Driver transforms financial reporting and accounting in the e-commerce world. Margin Driver is a real-time e-commerce accounting system that automates gross profit accounting, making business easier and more profitable for both you and your clients. By leveraging integrations with leading e-commerce platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, ChannelAdvisor, and EcomDash, marketplace such as Amazon, eBay, Walmart, and Etsy, and shipping solutions like ShipStation, ShipWorks, and Amazon FBA, Margin Driver creates the perfect pairing for either QuickBooks or Zero to meet the unique needs of your multi-channel e-commerce clients. Margin Driver's real time dashboards and reports incorporate it all, including the fees, refunds, shipping, and fulfillment costs, so that your clients can accurately calculate their cost of goods sold and profit all the way down to the individual order level. This will give you the ability to focus your clients on the best products and pricing strategies that will have the greatest impact on their bottom line. To learn more about Margin Driver and to get a 60 day free trial, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com/slash Margin Driver. That is podcast promo forward slash m a r g i n d r i v e r.
1: The Wall Street Journal. There was a big feature this week, and the headline is "Biden's Big Agenda Relies on a Shrunken, Strained Agency: The IRS." A lot of the numbers in here, a lot of the facts, figures, quotes. It very. Similar, The exact same stuff that we have covered here on the podcast for the last few weeks. To recap, the IRS has been asked to do a ton of stuff Uh, last year and this year. The IRS has to create a system outside of annual tax filings for issuing child tax credit payments. That's starting this summer. They've been asked to deal with all the stimulus payments to Americans. They are going to have to deal with tax changes, tax increases on companies, if the Biden administration is able to get that through Congress, which I don't see why they wouldn't given the Democratic majorities. And at the same time, since 2010, they have been losing personnel and and they have lost $2 billion in funding over the last decade or so. Some of these numbers are crazy. They lost 15% of their employees between 2010 and 2020, including thousands who pursued tax avoidance and answered taxpayers' queries. It opened about half as many criminal investigations as in 2010. In fiscal 2019, the percentage of individuals audited reached its lowest level in at least 40 years. And there's a chart here in this article Showing the audit rates by year of all individuals versus those with returns over $1 million. In the early 2010s, you had an 8 to 12% audit rate if you made over a million dollars. And that has declined to close to 2% now. And the the average audit rate for everybody is you know, less than I think it's like 0.3% or something like that. Pretty darn low. So here's the hope though, because the biden administration is using the irs to do these child tax credits and a lot of the agenda relies on raising revenue there's a lot of interest now in funding the irs not as much as i think they need but we're talking an increase of 10% 20% in their budget which would definitely help collect taxes get audits done properly but also i assume you know go to answering the phones and providing taxpayer service right <laughs> which would help us as accountants
0: for a second there, when you started to say the word "child," I thought you were going to say "child labor." Like that was the hope they were going to use child labor. The IRS was going to use child labor to get this get caught up on all this work.
1: <laughs> I, I got some more stats here on the IRS. Remember how I was hammering on um, Ed Carl from the ICPA on the answering the phone and the stats on that? Yes. Here's a c- crazy quote. So this is another article uh, on the IRS on those delays in tax refunds and quarterly payments. This was in Accounting Today. Quote. You hear from taxpayers and congressional offices all the time, but my understanding is that there have been days where if you calculated by looking at the number of calls that were answered and divide it by the number of calls that came in, the level of service was 2 to 3%. That's according to Nina Olson, Executive Director of the Center for Taxpayer Rights and the former National Taxpayer Advocate. She said that during a webinar last week. So she's saying that if you actually take the calls that came in or the calls that ans- were answered and divided by the calls that came in the you know the answer rate is two to three percent,
0: so that's just like uh, hey, three out of a hundred calls they actually talk to somebody, but that doesn't even mean like it was resolved, right? like I wonder if the the resolution rate's probably even less than that, right? Like like how many phone calls actually get an answer that resolves a
1: problem and you don't have to call back amazing, right just just shockingly low. well, I guess it's not shocking because when you see what has happened, how they've been starved all these years. It kind of makes sense. They just got too much to do. That is the situation over at the IRS. Let's hope that improves. So it's probably going to get worse then before it gets better.
0: Like I I can't imagine this turns in a year. Like it's probably going to – Even when they make the decision to make it better, it'll probably still just trickle down and get worse until it –
1: It's going to take years to replace the, what, 15,000 people that they lost over the last decade? And some of that's just been like aged out and retired out,
0: right? Yeah, so
1: those are experienced people. So they've either got to build that experience internally, or they've got to go hire people from like public accounting and bring them into the IRS, which is hard to do, you know, because you can make a lot more money working in public. But you could—they
0: they could make the promise of only forty hours a
1: week. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's true. The only appeal. And, that's the—that's yeah. the big appeal. is the job security and forty hours a week. Um, I've got some more tax news here. The federal stimulus bill, the American Rescue Act. Had a big tax change for gig workers that I didn't notice at the time, but that Forbes reported a day ago, a couple days ago. Did you know that gig workers generally don't get the standard 1099s? So if you make over $600 as a service provider.
0: So I'm an Uber driver. Yeah. And Uber does not issue me a normal 1099 MISC. They don't treat me as a normal old subcontractor.
1: Yeah, or whatever the new version of it is, right? So they issue you a 1099K. Because they consider themselves to be a third-party network rather than a like they're just they're passing the money on to you from the end customer, which is the passenger.
0: Okay, I see. I see. They're they're basically we're keeping the fee. I I see their logic on that kind of.
1: So the way that ten ninety nine k's work is the reporting threshold has been twenty thousand dollars and two hundred transactions. So they're dropping that now to match the the regular 1099 so it's you know $600 and there's no transaction minimum. So that means that all these gig workers who may not have been reporting income because they weren't getting a 1099 are now going to suddenly get them. So that's good for closing the tax gap but again David to your point it's going after the people who are the poorest. It's not going after the people who are massively avoiding taxes because they're rich and they can set up these you know interrelated entities where they hide income.
0: Yeah, because I, I wonder what the, the best Uber, DoorDash, Lyft driver makes in total. The, the, and, the, and maybe they're doing TaskRabbit stuff too and putting together IKEA furniture. like, like Something that's just like nonstop. That's all I do is gig work with these companies. Yeah. What are I mean, they possibly clearing?
1: I mean, you can't be making that much money, I don't think. And, and most of the time, since you're working on multiple platforms, you don't get any of these 1099Ks because you don't make enough on either, any of them individually. So, basically,
0: we're just closing a loop to make sure that money gets reported to the government properly because, you know, you don't want those people to yeah. know, slip by. Uh, it's priorities. <laughs> I mean, and, and the thing is, I
1: get it. Like, none of those people
0: will probably go to $200,000 dinners with
1: senators, right? <laughs> so, here's a state tax story. Florida has finally closed its remote sales tax loophole or gap ever since the Supreme Court in 2018 ruled in favor of South Dakota against Wayfair and allowed states to collect sales tax on out-of-state sellers selling into their state. Almost every state in the union has passed laws mandating that those sellers collect and remit sales tax. And this is something that is should not be controversial because this is tax that's due anyway. And right? if you as a resident of a state buy something from out of state, and you don't pay sales tax on the transaction, you're supposed to pay use tax. But nobody practically does it, and there's no way to enforce it. Very difficult to enforce. Florida, until recently, was one one of only two states remaining that did not collect sales tax on out of state sellers, or remote purchases, I should say, is the term. And they just closed that. So they're going to now be collecting up to a billion dollars a year. And Missouri remains the last holdout. Missouri is the only state that does not collect sales tax on remote sales. So it's amazing how quickly that's changed since just 2018.
0: So if you, if you really like to buy things online, you could relocate to, to Missouri. Missouri, it's, it's like getting a, a, a
1: raise. That's right. An 8%, 8% raise. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the news I've got in the world of tax. I guess we could talk about capital gains, you know, but that's all speculation at this point.
0: Should we jump into reviews? Um, I do have something about Netflix, which obviously, you, like you review movies, but let's jump into our reviews and then we I'll tell a story about Netflix here.
1: I love this Netflix story that you brought. It's super cool. It makes me want to change careers. So, uh, what do we get in terms of reviews?
0: So we got we got three new reviews here. Uh, I will start out with uh, the one that was on PodChaser. Again, everybody, if you do a review on PodChaser, we're down to like the last seven days. They will donate to Meals on Wheels. This is kind of a funny uh, review, but I appreciate the second chance. First impression, colon, long and dry. (laughs) Glad I came back for a second time and more. Cloud Accounting Podcast is a great podcast that is very informative and enjoyable. The hosts are professional and present information in a very easy manner. So I appreciate the second chance. Um, Who knows what episode they listened to that was dry, but I do appreciate the uh, second chance with this.
1: Two more reviews here. I'll read these both. Educational, informative, and entertaining. Blake and David do a great job every week. We are a UK-based firm, and this podcast is a weekly listen for us. While the US laws and taxes don't impact us, it's interesting to learn about their systems compared to the UK. The true value for us is the app news, and it keeps us ahead of the game in the UK industry, a great listen that delivers value every week. Well, thank you, JGBC, Ltd via Apple Podcasts in Great Britain. Here's our last review. Great way to stay up to date with what's happening in accounting tech and strangely tax and legislation. Love the insights from David and Blake, especially given their backgrounds from the tech and practitioner's perspective. That is from jeddah 88 on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for reviews. Go down in your podcast app to where you can leave a review. We will read it on the air. So, David, tell me about Netflix. What is, what's, how, how, so, I know that we've talked about actually like film accounting in the past is there was some story you had about like well i, I somebody... think in our
0: predictions right what my prediction is, is somebody's going to get in our space that's not in our space right right and in and, in and, and one of the examples i was thinking was netflix because they have all this payroll like net, netflix has so much payroll now because they're producing all these movies and my theory was like what if they
1: launch a payroll service or a payroll product for i remember this contractor? so and then somebody actually did do that right there is a now a, a Film or entertainment industry payroll. Yeah,
0: service. there was an app that we think we talked about. There's an app for that. Well, uh, in the same vein, now in New Mexico, so the New Mexico Film Office, they are working with Netflix. So Netflix has a program called Netflix Workforce Development Funds, and they are uh, paying for a program in New Mexico to train people with the background in accounting to become production accountants on movie sets, etc. So they're going to teach them about all the roles in accounting production, uh, accounting department production, um, accounting tools and technologies, payroll roles of unions, budgeting and cost reporting, and production incentives, as well as insurance claims. So because it's a different niche, right, for for a movie for them to do this. And then when they're done with this course, they're eligible for an interview with Netflix production finance executive and may be considered for employment.
1: Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. Like, I want to I want to quit my job and go do this. Like, I could be on film sets doing accounting working with for netflix
0: but but i get it right this is this is all about like service like like netflix can go to a director now when they go to finance a movie and go but not only am i going to pay for your movie and reach you this big old fat check we're going to do everything for you i'm taking everything off your plate i'm going to do your bookkeeping your accounting you don't have to i'm going to i have everything in house now so all you got to do is direct the movie and concentrate on your art well and that's it's, it's the quickbooks live model right there's a, or <laughs> or this is what i think cleo's going to do with lawyers like hey come to us you focus on what you do if you're mm-hmm. a lawyer, and
1: we'll do everything for you, including your bookkeeping.
0: Netflix is basically offering this to directors.
1: This is pretty cool. I, well, and this is like Netflix owns everything, right? When they do a show, they they basically run the whole thing, don't they? Like, um, and they own the production. Right? They own, then they stream it on their platform exclusively. It's like their thing. Well, it's beyond just you know.
0: There's a lot of movie producers that just pay to finance the movie,
1: right? Then, but that's not how Netflix no, operates. They're not. No, that's really neat. So they must, they, they, Netflix is expanding. They're doing more and more production. So they need good accountants. And it makes sense because why wouldn't Netflix want to control costs when they're paying for everything? So the website for this program, if you want to learn more about it, is cnmingenuity.org. And you can register for a program in production accounting and payroll training that starts May 15th. Oh, the course is filled up. Please add yourself to the waitlist and we will contact you if additional sessions become available. Oh, that was fast. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But uh maybe they'll open more. That's great. So what do I have I' have a bill about cannabis which might be appropriate because it was just 420 this week
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting podcast is sponsored by uncat. We talk a lot about AI bots and machine learning on this podcast and how they just can't do everything uncategorized transactions is a perfect example of something that requires the good judgment of accountants and bookkeepers. But categorizing uncategorized transactions isn't just about applying judgment. It's also about having a great communication between you and your client. I'm guessing many of you already have an quote unquote, export report from QuickBooks to a spreadsheet and email it to the client type system. But let's be honest, you don't like this and neither does your client. This is where UnCat can help you make classifying of expenses, income, and asset transactions faster and more enjoyable for both you and your clients. UnCat's automatic notifications, reminders, and password-less login make it easy for your clients to provide descriptions of transactions and upload receipts. And it makes it easy for you and your team to quickly categorize and automatically sync the corrected transactions with QuickBooks Online. If you're curious, like a cat, to learn more about UnCat, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash UnCat. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash U-N-C-A-T. Close the books faster with UnCat.
1: The house. That's appropriate. The The house. Passed a bill and they did it for days. Oh, this is great. So the article was published on April 20th. <laughs> and the headline is House OK's Bill to Make Weed Banking Legal. This was on CFO.com. The House of Representatives passed the Safe Banking Act on a 321 to 101 vote on Monday. It creates a safe harbor from being prosecuted by a federal banking regulator for providing financial services to a cannabis-related business. In other words, if you are a federally insured bank, you can now serve cannabis businesses, marijuana businesses, uh, in states where it is legal without worrying about getting your license taken away or a regulator coming down on you. And that has been the main reason why most banks have been unwilling to work with cannabis businesses.
0: I thought it was always not the fear of being arrested or losing your license. It was the fear that they just come in and grab all, they just lock down all the funds.
1: Oh well yeah. I mean they can shut they can stop you from operating. Yeah. If you're doing illegal stuff on a federal basis. And there are seventeen states that allow adult use. So this is a big market for these banks.
0: And this was um a house vote. So was there any yeah. there was a almost a seventy five percent.
1: Yeah, it was a big lopsided margin. So, is there any I reason mean,
0: to think that wouldn't happen in the Senate? Like, is this really going to go through?
1: I think I think so. I mean, I know that's just my personal opinion. Here's a quote from Rob Nichols, CEO of the American Banking Association. This legislation is an important step toward resolving the conflict between state and federal law so banks can serve legal cannabis and cannabis-related businesses. The bill will help banks meet the needs of their communities while reducing cash-motivated crimes, increasing the efficiency of tax collections, and improving the financial transparency of the cannabis industry, unquote. So that's a good point. A lot of cannabis businesses operate on a cash basis. Well, not on a cash basis, but operate with a lot of cash because they can't get banking. And so then that reduces tax revenues. So when you have- We've
0: talked about that. We've talked about how like- um some cannabis retailers bought a bank just to put cash in and then they <laughs> literally delivered a million dollars of tax money to the IRS
1: like with cash in a in a yeah in an armored truck yeah so that's interesting and and maybe this will encourage more accounting firms to get involved in working with cannabis businesses because gosh i'm just thinking as you know a bookkeeper uh, when when it's, you know, 80% cash or something, it's a real nightmare to keep track of somebody's books. And so if they, you know, can use credit cards and they can, you know, have bank feeds and yeah, I mean, this is going to make- Well, just a the easier.
0: apps themselves. I mean, QuickBooks, I mean, even Melio, like nobody wants to touch this. And that's just going to be interesting because I know there's a couple of niche apps that have partnered with some niche banks to do some of these services. But if this blows open, it's over for those apps. Like there, there's no competitive advantage now.
1: So speaking of- being able to serve clients, client service, uh, maybe expanding into new markets like cannabis. I, found, I saw this great blog post on the Zapier blog, and they do great content. Uh, and it made me think about how we as accountants approach marketing to entrepreneurs. We don't always do the best job putting ourselves into their shoes when we talk about the pain points and the benefits of hiring an accountant. And so it's always worth... Doing that as much as possible so that we can tune our marketing so that we're actually reaching people and engaging with them. So I I highly recommend you take a read. The blog post is called Why We Ditched Our Accounting Software for a Bookkeeper. It's by John Ross, who is the founder of a company called Test Prep Insight. He built this from the ground up and he started out doing his own bookkeeping. And in this article, he talks about how at first it took up minimal time he he purchased quickbooks he set it up he's a smart guy so you know he was able to do that pretty easily and he said at first it was just matching a handful of transactions to the right category then as time passed and our business grew the quick easy accounting updates become became less so This was primarily the result of a major increase in monthly transactions and complex accounting issues arising, mostly questions associated with refunds, discounts, and affiliate commissions. In short, as our business grew, our accounting became more complex. During the first year of business, I probably spent 30 minutes per week updating our books. By the end of the second year, I was spending more like 30 minutes per day. Early in our third year of business, we hit an inflection point and business really took off. As our operations became more robust, so did our accounting. I was spending close to an hour per day cleaning up accounting entries, matching expenses, and recategorizing revenue. It was at that point then he decided that at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday night, trying to figure out some accounting thing, he decided enough was enough. And he decided, I'm going to hire somebody to help do this for me. And I I really like that because that is often... The, the big pain point of an entrepreneur is that their business grows, they've been doing the accounting, it grows in complexity, and now they're spending, you know, an hour a day on this. And that's when it stops being, you know, when it goes over it's half an hour. It's kind of fun at
0: the in the beginning. It's kind of fun, right? Like, yeah. oh, look, this one, I charge. I bought business cards and they came through on my bank fee. Look how cool this is. It's it's kind of fun at first. Then you realize, oh man, this a lot of work.
1: And it's beneficial at first because then you, when you're small, have a really good understanding of where your money's going and how much you're spending. And I think that's really important. I don't recommend that you outsource when you start your business. So So, so as a firm
0: though, the challenge here, right, is do you try to win these people when they've hit that three-year mark or do you build a relationship with them the whole time?
1: Well, and that's what some firms I've seen are doing where they're getting people in at a small monthly charge to have access to ask questions, maybe to get some software discounts. But those people are, and you set them up properly, but then they go do the books themselves. And then you can continue to send them information, make them aware of your outsourcing opportunities, the, the services you offer. And then when they're ready, they buy from you. Because they already have a relationship. They're
0: just like, oh, yeah, let's pull it trigger. Let's do this. it makes sense.
1: So this author here, this entrepreneur, he used that word, the inflection point. So you need to be there when that inflection point happens. And that's your opportunity to get a client that's going to pay you and have a reason to pay you and want to pay you because you're saving them an hour a day and then grow with you. So he talks about that being the main pain point is the time suck. So when you are communicating with entrepreneurs, you really want to focus on that pain. It's like, you, you, there's so much going on as an entrepreneur. And we all know this when we started firms that like you have a, a million things to do and not enough time to do them. So you want to focus on that, like get this off your plate. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't have to worry about taxes and all this stuff. And then also you know, the the complexity of the accounting, like, are you doing it correctly? You don't want to be negative about it, but, you know, we know that they're not doing it right and you want to make them aware of the risk of that. Like, well, maybe you're not doing this right. Maybe there's better ways to do this and maybe you're not building it to scale. And so then you're going to have to redo a whole bunch of work. Maybe you, that's when you need an accountant, when you start to have that self-doubt because you're not just categorizing transactions. Now you're doing accruals and deferrals. And if you're not a bookkeeper, or an accountant, like you're going to do it wrong, most likely. So... He talks about some of the perks of having a bookkeeper. So when you're talking about benefits, these are benefits to focus on in your marketing. Here are the major perks. There's three of them. I now have an accounting expert at my disposal to answer all of my questions about financial reports. Now that I have more time to actually focus on growing my business, I naturally need data. But data in a vacuum is useless. Being able to parse through the numbers and make insightful interpretations with actionable takeaways is the key. And bookkeepers may not all have their CPA license, but they know their stuff. So being able to go to his bookkeeper and ask quick questions on how to interpret certain reports is really important. He says, the bookkeeper does the financials for a half dozen other companies, which means I get expert insights on how other companies solve for issues or trim costs. And then lastly, it's just more efficient. What used to take me five or six hours per week takes my bookkeeper three hours.
0: And then you get the whole intangible, which is now you're spending that six hours a week Doing something for your business, possibly growing your revenue. Exactly.
1: Right. right? Not just doing administrative stuff. So I like that, right? We need to put ourselves in the shoes of entrepreneurs if we want to create a website that draws them in. If we want to like give them a reason to buy from us. So we we need to be constantly thinking of that. So I'm always looking um, online on like Q&A forums when entrepreneurs are talking about this. What is motivating them? What are the big benefits to them? That's what you want to speak to, not the stuff that we as accountants and bookkeepers think is important, because a lot of times that isn't important to entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, so I have an article that's kind of similar along this vein of meeting this small business owner where they're at at the time, and this one's about uh, influencers. So let's let's talk social media influencers. They're some of them definitely are getting cash. They're getting paid. But that process is basically all taking place in their DMs.
1: In their direct messages, direct messages like, like on, on Twitter, Instagram, or Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat.
0: Exactly. And so that's like the, the there's, there's no contract. There's no invoice. Like it's just in the DMs. And then eventually they get like a paper check or maybe paid through a peer-to-peer type transfer.
1: So wait, step back for a second. I want, So so I'm an influencer. I have like an Instagram account with, I don't know, 100,000 followers. Some and brand.
0: I'm BMW and I'm going to be like, hey, Blake. I'm going to pay you $1,500 if you, you know, say how much you love BMW.
1: So they'll just message me in the app and then I'll work out a deal with them in a direct message and then probably send them a link to pay me and they'll pay me on that link. Maybe it's like a, maybe it's an a Emilio link, right? Could be. And, and then they, um, and then I do the sponsored post. Exactly. And that's how it works. Okay. And, and
0: so there's like almost zero documentation. There's definitely no accounting happening how do you get that out of a direct message into an accounting system? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really like trying to meet your clients where they're at. So if you have any that are talking about, oh, I'm an influencer, you probably need to ask some more questions because they probably have no process set up. It's all in their DMs. And how do you get access to those? You can not access their DMs to pull that data out. So it's just, it's just about meeting those, your, your potential clients where they're at. Like they might not be ready to outsource, but they have a problem. If they're doing everything in DM, right, it's going to be a problem.
1: So let's get into app news, shall we?
0: Yeah, let's do that. And then after that, we can do remote work.
1: Well, I have a story here that is both. It's called, This is Your Brain on Zoom. It was in TechCrunch. And I like the title because I remember growing up with the anti-drug campaign, This is Your Brain on Drugs. And remember that one? It's like the guy who like breaks an egg yep. and like scrambles it. And and this kind of is similar in that it's a, it's a about a study that researchers did on people who are on Zoom meetings. And they compared two groups of people. There's people who just sit in Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting with no breaks, four meetings in a row, versus people who took breaks between four Zoom meetings. And as you might expect, They were able to measure stress levels gradually increasing across the four meetings where there were no breaks. So two hours straight of meetings, stress levels just gradually going up. If you got a 10 minute break in between Zoom meetings, the stress level, it still increased like a tiny little bit because you're doing meetings, obviously, but like much less, like much more stable. So good argument to always make sure that you have breaks in between your meetings. Don't go from one meeting to another. Why doesn't, like, this is what I hate about big tech. If this data is available and Big Tech knows this, why doesn't Big Tech
0: just lock your Zoom for 10 minutes?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, we can do this with tech. If you have like a calendar app, like Calendly, for instance, you can force 10-minute breaks in between. Of course, that isn't going to stop your coworkers from just booking you solid on, on meetings.
0: Or a meeting that runs over. And I guess they do offer this. Like if you just don't pay for Zoom and you get the free one, it just shuts your meeting off 45 minutes in. And yeah. you get that extra 15 minutes.
1: <laughs> it's a good reason to to not pay for Zoom. Is <laughs> the that you best get that. feature.
0: You get the best feature by not paying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, uh, that's my app story having to do with remote work. Uh, what about you? Anything before we go into the other apps? The average workday has gone up.
0: And probably because of not having remote 10-minute breaks. Remote work. Um, and it went up. The average workday, and I don't have it for 2019, but uh, in this survey, let me scroll to the bottom and get the numbers here. This is from the... Proto Score Research Council, they evaluated more than 900,000 data points from 7,000 employees. They've discovered that the workday went from working at 824 a.m. to 530 p.m. in 2020 to now you go to work at 746 a.m. and you work till 612 in 2021. I would Mm. love to know what the numbers were in 2019, but they just don't have them here.
1: Well, it's because people are replacing their commute with more work. And
0: year over year, productivity is way up which makes sense, right? You're, you don't have that 10 minutes between meetings. You're staying on the meetings. You're doing more work. You're working more hours. um, And then the other big trend was Thanksgiving week. The decline's always there, no matter what, even in our new pandemic world, people are still just blowing off work the week of Thanksgiving. They're not taking as many meetings. Um, And then the other uh, piece was the, the number of daily meetings has increased, but the time in the meetings has decreased, which is interesting. So you're, so you're, you're going to more meetings, but the average time spent in meetings is only two hours and 14 minutes. And I don't know like if this is the case. Like I am a way outlier in the number of meetings I
1: go to. What do you spend? How much do you spend in meetings every day? I don't know if I'm going to publicly admit this. Tell, tell uh, it. Tell I want to know. And so
0: I leave my calendar wide open for Monday and Tuesdays. So I, I'm, a lot of times on Monday and Tuesdays, I'm in meetings from 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. Until five o'clock at night.
1: Oh my gosh, David, <clears throat> that's not healthy. And then
0: Wednesdays, I cut it off at. Uh, Eleven Thursdays, ten a.m. and then Fridays. You can't get on my calendar.
1: But but why do you do that to yourself? Why not just have like if you have to be in that many meetings, be in like a four hour block in the morning or something. You're all day long. I mean, that's that's well that way I get
0: these other days at the end of the week that are free because they just if not like my day will just fill it like all all hour I'll have four hours of meetings every single day.
1: Are all of these meetings absolutely necessary? Of course not, Blake.
0: <laughs> but what are you supposed to do? That's how these well, things work. Uh,
1: well, wh- you know, one way I push back is the day before. Um, if I, I haven't had this situation in a while, because I've managed to control my calendar pretty well in my current position, but I would uh, have a strategy where if I had a lot of meetings, I need to cancel them. I'd say, Hey, I noticed we have a meeting tomorrow. Please let me know what you'd like to discuss, you know, AKA send me an agenda. And then often it would be like one thing, and I would just resolve it via email. And then we could cancel the meeting. Yeah. Right, because a lot of times people will just book time on your calendar because they have one thing to talk about and they are too lazy to write an email. <laughs> well, or, and then
0: maybe that's a symptom, right? Because I feel like some of these things, instead of being a decent email, conversations kind of take place on Slack and then you get lost because of the Slack threads just go to hell. And then you're like, let's just get on the calendar and have a meeting about this. And so, yeah, maybe maybe we need to return to email usage.
1: Well, I'm a big fan of of... Uh, asynchronous work and not necessarily through email, but through like project management solutions. Like I'm, I'm big into ClickUp now. Um, Seth David turned me on to ClickUp and I am loving it. And you can create list items and just have discussions in those list items, their to-dos or what, or agenda items or whatever. And it's just so much more efficient to do that because it's asynchronous. So you're not pinging people on Slack all day, but, uh, and it goes to their email. So they get notifications there if that's how they like to deal with their I- inbox. And, and everything's organized, you know? So I, I track that as I use that for my agenda items and I'm able to get a ton done without going into meetings.
0: I think a lot of companies aren't taking advantage of a lot of tech. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day and sure it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/odoo. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. Intuit they publicly put out their survey to their employees about their future of workplace. Obviously, Intuit, COVID started, every employee works from home. The pendulum swung that way. And now they've been surveying their employees to figure out what they want to do next. And so uh, Sasan Ghadarzi, he's the CEO of Intuit. He put out this whole blog post about the way they're approaching this. Um, And so some of these stats are things we kind of knew about before. Before the pandemic, 88% of Intuit employees worked full-time at an Intuit site. So, most, most people are going in every single day to an Intuit site. And so the survey was 9,800 Intuit employees, pretty significant. They're uh, adding So, they said some of uh, 90% they appreciated not having the commute, 60% they like having some uninterrupted work. It, it's kind of nice for people not to inter- interrupt you. Maybe those are just people, or, uh, kids at home or dogs or you know that type of stuff. <laughs>
1: well, no, they, they say that, they, 60%. Like, it says 60% confirm they have more interrupt, uninterrupted work time at home. That, I mean that makes sense to yeah. me because I the mean, office is incredibly. It's distracted. worse than home. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's why you want to read that. Um, and then only a small percentage want to go back the entire way, like six percent, to go full time being at the site, right? Which means and to it as a problem of your ninety eight hundred employees you surveyed, only six percent want to go to a building full time. So they're so they're heading towards marching into a, a hybrid model, but seventy nine percent of them felt said they felt isolated. Right, And the the big reason to be in the office, and we talked about this two weeks ago or last week, was this community, right? having a sense of community. And then the bigger risk is Intuit has a great culture. And the risk of this is, does the culture die when everybody's working remote? Can you keep that culture that Intuit has if everybody's remote on a long-term basis?
1: It's a really good question. That's going to be the big question of the next decade. As more, 25% of Americans will be working remotely full-time. Can you bring them into the culture? Can you build it? I think you can. I just think we're not being creative enough about it yet. Just because culture happened accidentally in the office doesn't mean that it can't happen purposefully remotely.
0: It's interesting. And so 80% want a hybrid, and then they go on to talk about how they're going to um, basically possibly require people that they'll come to the site two or three days a week. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, The other interesting note is they're opening, they they want to attract talent wherever they're at, and they're opening some sort of New York City office this summer. And then they basically want to do a a phased approach. And this is where I think firms can learn from this, right? So they're going to do a soft open where it's like opt-in voluntary people coming in, uh, but really still try to encourage people to work from home. Then a partially open where they extend the capacity more than 40%, but it's still a little bit more opt-in. And then people who, uh, anybody's pretty much welcome at that point. And then fully open where they're like, hey, there's an expectation that you actually come to the office.
1: Yep, two to three days a week, which yeah. is what we've seen. The big four accounting firms are looking to do as well. Seems like everybody's moving to that hybrid yeah. model, and, and that's it, what I prefer too.
0: And, I, and now I, I was thinking, like, why are these companies putting these out? And I think it's because of hiring. This is a, this is a. You want to send the message out there that hey, here's the new. When you work with Intuit or you go to get a job with Intuit, here's you're going to be your expectations. Like these are all <laughs> career type posts. This is why these companies are releasing their plans about this. I think
1: but it makes sense, right? Why would I go work for Intuit if I suspect that they're going to make me go back to the office 100% of the time, only 6% of employees want to do that. Yeah. So they need to, yeah, they need to let people know what are our plans after the pandemic. That's great. Bill.com announces integration with Microsoft Dynamics 365. It's a two-way sync, very robust payables and receivables. If you want to know more, you can go search on help.bill.com. My takeaway from this is Bill.com continues its relentless march up into the mid-market and enterprise as Microsoft Dynamics is a very popular uh, mid-market ERP system. All
0: right. So I will uh, stay on this accounts payable since I have four stories with accounts payable. Everybody wants to get in the accounts payable kind of game. Um, Paymoji, P-A-Y-M-O-G-Y is an investing in invoice stream for P2P payment services. So that went on. Um, There's a,
1: Oh, I thought I thought that was going to be um, where you pay people with emojis.
0: Oh, ah, it's pretty funny, Blake. Blake wins. Uh, <laughs> pay emoji. That's, that's genius. No. Genius. Um,
1: Wait. So what are they they're, doing?
0: They're uh, getting into accounts payable and and peer to peer payments. Essentially, they're picking up invoice stream because invoice stream is going to drive the automation of AP invoices and. You know, it's a, a low cost, easy way to add it. I mean, all these stories, you're going to see the same words, right? Like, like there's a, it's just, they're getting in the AP game. Paymoji, they operate uh SaaS software businesses in different industries. So they have, they're buying this other company too. Their private equity yeah. firm. And then they're buying an automation platform provider to implement into these other SaaS service things, right? So it's just, everybody's getting to this accounts payable space, right? Uh, Playo, so Playo is a similar app, like a... Uh, an Expensify type app or um, Airbase, some of these, uh, Brex, Divi, right? All these companies Well, Playo's now added a bills feature to do. They're going to scan bills and pay bills built into the app in the similar, the same way others have done this. The other credit card expense apps have done it. The more interesting plays though is Bank of America has rolled out a product called Complete AP to help transform, transform a company's accounts payable. What's interesting about this, it's simple stuff we'd expect. They'll digitize the bill, they'll route it for coding, get it approved and move it out the door. And they're targeting at people that currently do about 200 bills a month and and are still using possibly paper checks. What's interesting about this that I thought was really, really interesting is marketing this as as a holistic AP solution. And what I mean by that, it's just not technology. They're going to, their team, so their in-house team of uh, complete accounts payable or complete APs team, this brand that they're creating internally, they're going to communicate with your client. So when you go to pay a vendor and you're like, hey, I need you to onboard to my payment product called Complete AP, they're going to provide the support and help to the vendor you're trying to onboard to the payment hmm. network.
1: Oh, interesting. So it's a service as well as software.
0: And then they're going to, um, anytime p- uh, vendors need to make changes to their preferences or manage their, their support inquiries, like maybe they need to change their bank accounts, like all that's going to be handled by this team and they don't contact you. So so it truly is a service. Now, I wonder if, if Bank of America built this from scratch, if they're really partnering with somebody else under the covers, that wasn't really clear. And then Deluxe. You're familiar with Deluxe? Deluxe Checks? No. The paper check company?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, I used to order QuickBooks checks from them yeah. all the time. So Deluxe has
0: quietly
1: been becoming
0: an e-payments company, very quietly under the table. And I remember um, – they bought an app at least six years ago, like two developers, they were building this, like you could send a PDF of a check and take a picture of it with your phone. And they were like one of the first apps doing this. And I remember they sent me a PDF of a dollar and I took a photo of it and I could cash it. And I was like, this is crazy, right? And Deluxe bought them immediately because obviously if somebody's going to be able to send PDFs of checks and you're in the paper check business, you probably want to own that company. So they've quietly um, just been in the payment space, but now they just bought a company, um, First American Payments and a, almost a billion dollar all cash deal, 960 million all cash deal. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just going to help them establish themselves more in the payment industry. And I didn't know as part of this was already, Deluxe is already processing 2.8 trillion in payments annually.
1: They made a lot of money selling paper checks and they've seen the writing on the wall. And so it's they're moving into and, digital. And they've done
0: yeah. it. like nobody, I don't. I didn't know they were doing that kind of volume. Pretty amazing. So everybody's in the payment space, and some people are very quiet about it and dominating it. Apparently, yeah. um, <laughs> I have some Square news, but I don't know if you have any app news you want to jump to.
1: I got one more story before I let you finish things out. Bookkeeper three hundred and sixty, a cloud-based bookkeeping firm that has has really been one of the originals uh, in the zero space, has partnered with Zero on a software platform called the Bookkeeper three hundred and sixty app. It now integrates with Zero. And you can find it on the zero marketplace. Small businesses can use it to view their finances, track business goals, access accounting expertise. So how would I describe this app? Um, it's very much a dashboard type of application, but it also provides workflow if you are a business that uses Bookkeeper 360's services. And what I love about this from a marketing standpoint, thinking about how Bookkeeper 360 is acquiring clients is that this accounting firm, this bookkeeping firm is on the zero app marketplace. What a great place to find customers and get, get them into your free trial of your app. And then maybe they sign up for the app and then maybe they purchase your accounting services. Like this is something that if you have the resources to invest, why wouldn't you do this? So
0: I, um, on the QuickBooks app store back in the day, and it's still there as a, uh, Chris Reagan has an app called tax planner pro and Mm -hmm. he was basically the only accounting firm with an app on there. And it drove so many clients because small businesses, if they go to the app store, they're looking for like the the app speaks to them, right? It goes back to what you said about what do small business owners care about? Right. And they care about like their tax planning and am I tracking things correctly? And am I tying back my business taxes and what I'm doing back to my personal taxes? Right. And, Mm -hmm. He uses that and it's a lead gen for his home firm. He almost makes you know more on that than he does the app.
1: And to go back to this idea of the inflection point, that you want to be the expert who is top of mind when this business owner goes through that inflection point where they decide, screw this, I'm not doing this on my own anymore. I need an expert. You want to be there. And this is a great way to be there because let's say they're using your app and they're paying you, I don't know, 30 bucks a month or something just to have access to this app that they're using. Or you they did a free trial of the app and even if they don't use it, now they're on your email list and you're sending them information every week or every month, you're going to be there now. So, so that's, that's like the number one advice I have for firms when it comes to marketing is build up your database of business owners who are not yet ready for you and cultivate that list, right? Keep it, keep it warm, send them useful information because every now and then a certain number of those businesses are going to grow from seeds into, you know, plants that need some uh, trimming and stuff and they're going to need your services.
0: And some of it is that, that blue ocean strategy, right? You don't want to be in that red water. You want to go to the blue part of the ocean where there's no competition. And and really there's two app stores mm-hmm. that have lots of millions of small businesses owners access. And there's two accounting firms in those. Like everybody's building a website and their social media presence and every single accounting firm is launching a podcast. Build an app yeah, the- for the software, the accounting software. <laughs> Build an app for there that targets <laughs> small businesses.
1: Go where nobody else is. Um, so Square announced some inventory features. This is interesting because that's always been one of the weak parts of their solution. And Tell me so
0: about it. it's looking like they're adding enough functionality to their inventory where maybe you don't have to have a third-party inventory tool. So you're getting...
1: Um, really?
0: They have three kind of pieces to this. They have something called a quick inventory counting. And basically, you're going to have a barcode scanner. So you can go through your store. Boop, 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 boop. Right? Right count everything really quickly. Then they have a, a product called Smart Alerts and it's going to use some machine learning to figure out when an item's about to run out of stock and then reorder that for you. And then they're going to, um, they have a thing called Easy Item Create. So they have a, a way for you to quickly take your items you want to sell and get them into the inventory system, into the catalog, and then ready for sale across all your channels by it'll just by scanning one barcode. So you scan the barcode item. They must pull data from other Square sellers, maybe, I guess. And then that item's, in your system, and then populates through to all your selling channels. That's really so neat. That's a pretty big. Like, again, like Square's just building all pieces. The only thing is the GL. It's just the GL. Right, they haven't, haven't done that yet. I have a couple of like other ones quickly. Avalara is buying Davo. So Davo is like a. Remember we talked about those tax zappers? How they hide yeah. your sales? Like off, they connect to your point of sale and hide your sales. Davo. Is an honest app. So Davo connects to your point of sale. And every time you sell uh, something that has sales tax, they pull that sales tax out and track it and then pull those those funds out of your bank account and pull it aside. So when you're ready to pay your sales tax, you actually have the funds to pay your sales tax. So so, so, so it's kind of the opposite of the tax zapper in a way. But they have 4,000 businesses using Davo and Avalara bought them because this is Avalara's march of, we're not only gonna file your reports, we're gonna help you get licensed uh, set up your business. We're going to help you track all your tax along the way. Now we're going to help you actually set aside your funds that you have to pay like full end to end Avalara is getting into on the, the tax side on that. The other two other ones, uh, we talked about this, a company deal before deal D E L. They are a, uh, think about it as a global payroll company. So Blake, if you want to hire somebody in Zimbabwe, You probably don't even know where to start on that. Well, you could work with Deal and they can run payroll and pay those employees in their local currency using this product called Deal. What's interesting about this is their growth. So in 2020, their revenue increased 20-fold on their platform. And now they're supporting more than 1,800 businesses around the world. So if you you think about like a company growing 20X in 2020 because of obviously COVID.
1: Yeah, it makes sense, right? More businesses are operating across country lines and these guys are like a global peo
0: yeah and when you have 20 percent growth in revenue you're going to you get 20x growth 20x growth in revenue you're going to get 156 million dollars in seed money <laughs> yeah <laughs> or seed money and then the last one this goes to i can almost t- tie it back to again meeting your customers where they are or trying to get loyalty because i the headline was confusing to me so we've talked about these buy now pay later apps right mm-hmm. so you're you're buying a a laptop and instead of like doing the old school finance and you're putting in your credit card, these apps will essentially charge your credit card $250 for four months instead of you charging you a thousand dollars at once. And there's no fees. And, and the reason retailers like this is they make the sales, right? And it helps the lo- loyalty. Well, this, um, this company, a firm who's in the buy now pay later space, they bought another company called Returnly for $300 million in cash and equity. So Returnly's game is, of the 428 billion dollars in merchandise that's returned back to retailers um, returnly serves 1800 merchants and they processed about a billion of that in returns. But I was really trying to understand like why does a buy buy now pay later company right buy a returns company? And so the article really kind of goes in and if you really step back it's just about driving loyalty and retaining more customers because if you want to if you if you're a, you're a business right and you want to retain your customers you're going to offer them a a super great, convenient return policy. And you're going to offer some sort of buy now, get lit, uh, buy now, get paid later policy. Right. So it's just about like driving that loyalty. Makes sense. And that's it for app news for me.
1: Well, that's the end of our show, David. If people want to follow you, connect with you online, where can they do that? Anywhere on the socials. I'm just at David Leary.
0: And if you connect with me on LinkedIn, just say you're not a bot.
1: I am at Blake T Oliver. That's T as in taxes. You can also call in and leave us a voicemail. 202-695-1040. 202-695-1040. We listen to every message and we will likely play it on the air. We didn't get any voicemails this week. No voicemails this week, but maybe next week. Uh, Do leave us reviews or send us emails. Connect with us. uh, Give us the latest scoop on all this stuff that's happening and we want to share it with our listeners. Until next week, David, have a have a great week and, and enjoy being vaccinated. Uh, wait, you're going on Monday, right?
0: And hopefully Monday morning as soon as they, don't, <laughs> they don't, don't change it again.
1: Good luck. All right.
0: Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. BKX is the community event only for bookkeeping professionals. The BKX conference hosted by the Digital Bookkeeper Association is June 22nd through the 24th in Las Vegas. This year will include keynote speaker Aaron Brockovich. Both in-person and virtual tickets are available, and as a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, you can receive 15% off when you apply the promo code CLOUD15 at checkout. All lowercase letters, that's CLOUD15. Visit bkx.com to learn more and register. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Xero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Xero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. why Zero founder, Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Xero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. With new tech coming out from around the world each day, how do you filter out the noise and find the best tech for your firm? Launch for Accountants is a tech discovery platform made for accounting firm owners. Here are just a few of the most popular launches from the month of January. A web-based tool for building narratives around your 10 key tapes, a PPP forgiveness utility, and a financial modeling platform that integrates with your entire cloud stack. To learn more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at launchfa.com. Have you ever joined a mastermind group with other accounting professionals? The Realize Accountant community is organizing mastermind groups for accountants with groups kicking off this May. Whether you're a firm owner, a staff accountant at a small firm or a big four, Realize is matchmaking pros offering similar services and like-sized firms. You'll spend six months in a group of five going deep on issues specifics to you and your firm. Signups close April 30th, learn more, at rlz.io. That's rlz.io. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com.